Hello, I'm Scott, the CEO of Comio, and you're listening to Agency of Change. I'm joined by my co-host, Head of Strategy at Comio, Brock Fisher. Welcome. Uh, Agency of Change is a podcast designed to showcase best practice, innovation, and excellence in residential property management in Australia. Gives me great pleasure today to introduce to you Reese Stanley of Just Property Management, coming to us from Bunbury in WA. G'day, Reese. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Great to be with you. Uh, so, Reese, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about the history of the business. I understand it's got quite a, uh, a long-term local heritage, and I guess a bit about your journey to deciding to establish a, a property management-specific brand. Yeah, well, my father started the business with his business partner Jim Barr. Um, it was called. We have we have a real estate sales business called Barr and Stanley Real Estate, and we actually just ticked over our fiftieth year last year. And wow. When, when I started in real estate back in 1997, um, my dad said to me, son, get in and I want you to grow the rent roll. That's where the value of our company lies. And so back then we had 130 rental properties and um, I said about being a property manager, I, I tried to grow and I, I've, I've got to confess that I was one of those guys that would go out and slash uh, fees uh-huh, to bring on your business. <laughs> and um, I typically would bring on, you know, somewhere between two and four new properties a month. And back then I would, I bought a projector and I would go into people's family <laughs> homes and sit down and project my presentation up on oh, the wall. Oh, that's terrific. <laughs> like with and, slides. Um, was, oh, that's cool. It was cutting edge for the time. You yeah. know, people were wowed, but. The main way I would get business was through cutting fees. If someone would do it for 6%, I'd do it for 5%. If someone did it for 5 I'd do it for 4 And um, But the problem was our, our business never really grew. We, we were getting churn out the bottom. We didn't do a very good job at property management. So whatever I was bringing in, I certainly wasn't retaining and it dropped out the bottom and <clears throat> I sort of had a, an epiphany one day. I likened all real estate offices to your local GP doctor and you can go and see your GP doctor and um, they can diagnose you from an ingrown toenail right through to having a heart problem. And real estate offices are pretty similar to that. You have offices that do everything from... Um, residential property management all the way through to residential sales, commercial management, um, land project sales, um, you know, auctions, the whole gamut. But we specialise in nothing. And and then I, I thought, you know, if I got sent to the heart surgeon and the heart surgeon said, Reese, um, in order to get you back on the right path, um, you need to... Um, exercise regularly, clean up your diet, and here's my bill, it's $1,000, I would walk away from there and say, wow, the heart surgeon has told me, he's charged me more, he's given me the advice, I'm listening. And so in property management, I uh, thought, wow, the same thing applies. Why don't I become a specialist in property management? And we... Um, worked on and created a brand by the name of Just Property Management. And the name was described exactly what we did, I'm Just a, Property I'm Management. A, I'm a big fan of truth in naming, as Scott will tell you. And, 
um, my phone just started to ring and the, the Joe public out there indeed felt the same. They were frustrated with all these real estate officers that, you know, said they did property management and they weren't querying the fee. They were wanting someone that actually took it seriously and um, wanted to do it better. And our business just took off. And, you know, within almost overnight, it, it flourished. We were getting so many phone calls coming in saying, hey, we, um, you know, it didn't stop. They still got three appraisals, three or four appraisals, but we were always one of the three. Instead of before, they'd still get three appraisals, but they'd toss the coin and say, well, we'll call in LJ Hooker or a Ray White yeah. or an yeah. independent company. Now, you've also, I think the first time I ever saw you speak, Reese, must have been, and this will, this will test my memory, Bex, but I'd say 2012 LPMA, and you gave a really good uh, talk on on processes, which is actually quite difficult to do because it's quite a dry topic area, as you know. But um, was that kind of the pathway that you went through to uh, becoming that specialist and, and that actual heart surgeon in there was just overhauling everything that you did? Yeah, from from the start, you know, from the tenant sign up, we automated that. So um, from that process all the way through to the end process, I made um, videos, I made booklets, uh, I stepped it through the, the whole setup. So people weren't getting a different experience if they were dealing with me or another staff member. It was the same message being taught through because you know like I found just in the tenant sign up typically the tenant wants to come in get the keys um pay the money sign the bond form and the the tenant um lease and get out of there and usually like I would take probably 45 minutes to do that process if you want to go through thoroughly and step by step and go through the lease document but Typically what I found, property managers were time poor. And this was an area where they could, instead of taking 45 minutes, they knew that the tenant just wanted to get the keys, pay the money and get out of there. And I started finding that what would ordinarily take me 45, other people were doing in 10 minutes. And there was no problem initially. But in six weeks' time, when we noticed that the tenants were parking on the lawn or they weren't using a drip tray or... (laughs) Um, you know, all these little minor things that are covered off in a proper tenant sign-up were starting to raise their ugly heads and these small problems of trying to save time became big problems down the track. So we created the tenant sign-up process where they would tenant would come in and they would watch the introductory DVD and um, and that's even evolved since then but all those things had to be almost automated to a point and uh, so everyone was singing from the same hymn book. Reese, can I ask then, so um, taking people through a change like that is always a big job and it's never easy and it sounds like you're way ahead of your time sort of focusing and specialising in property management back then when, you know, the general consensus was real estate businesses were first and foremost sales businesses that just happened to have some property management how hard was it to kind of change the culture within the business to be one that really kind of celebrated property management and embraced things like, you know, the tenant sign up DVD and so on? 
Um, well, what I find in most offices, uh, the you know, whether they're a combined sales property management office, most principals are sales-focused as opposed to property management-focused. Even though they, they know the importance of property management, it's the saleable asset at the end of the day, it's the constant revenue that comes through the door. They focus more on sales and the property management department are almost um, the poor cousin. And what I found is when I really focused on the property management and I set a vision for those people, they lifted. And people lift when they can see a clear vision. They love clarity. And our department thrived. Um, it was a welcome move. So can I ask then, I mean, you've you've because that is just mind-blowing, it's amazing, and the rate of growth that you've had since doing it is pretty extraordinary. When you sort of set out on that path, did you have a clear view that you wanted to get to the size that you are today, or is that just kind of happened as a consequence of all of these smart things that you've done along the way? Um, well, I didn't set out to, we currently manage about a 1,000 properties. I didn't set out to say I wanted to get to a 1,000 properties but I, I just wanted to do property management better and I found it, it was a real pain point in my business. It was where I was getting the staff turnover. It was where I was getting the heartache and the challenges. But the thing that I actually found when I focused on property management, my sales department has gone through the roof. My sales business has done better than ever before. So what, what I, I, I almost flipped. Most real estate officers, as I said, focus on sales and they think, well, out of if I do six or ten sales a month, two of those are going to be investors, well, I'll grow my portfolio. Whereas I did it the opposite way. I said, if I could bring in 20 new managements a month consistently and I, and I look after those well, in five years' time, I'm going to have 20 people, 20 listings that are going to sell. Yep. And so my sales business in Western Australia, and I'm sure it's the same as everywhere, sales are really competitive. And I don't have a big sales team. We, um, we have about 10 sales reps. But our office was ranked in the last few years the third highest selling real estate office in Western Australia. Wow. But it comes off the back of a thriving property management business, not the other way around. And it comes from babysitting or looking after these investors. And when they're happy investors, why else would they go somewhere else? You know, they, they ring up and say, hey, we're thinking of liquidating our asset. Can you recommend anyone to sell it? Well, of course I can. <laughs> it's a no-brainer. I've got the hot tip. <laughs> Reese, can you talk to me about your department structure? So, you know, you've grown, I guess, from the original 130 properties now to 1,000 plus. Is that been uh, kind of structuring your team the same way and just scaling out or have you made some tweaks and refinements or, or complete uh, structural changes? Yeah, I've certainly made changes from where we started. I, um, I was really just finding my way and until I've, over the last probably four years, we have totally changed up our model and it is the model that is, I can say hands down, is clearly the best for me as an owner. 
and for my staff and for our investors and for our tenants. And so the way I structure it now is the, the, the hardest person to find for our business is a property manager. And I, I guess the thing that I've come to realise is if I can satisfy their number one priority and I keep staff and I don't have to overpay, um, I pay a fair and reasonable amount, but it's satisfying each person's number one priority. So for me, as an employer of a company, my number one priority is my wife and below that is my children and then further down the rank is probably my, my work. But the reality is it's the same for all of my employees. But we, we kind of expect for our staff when they come to work that their number one priority isn't their number one priority, but work is their number one priority. And we try and get them to, to work, you know, from nine to five. But in reality, I, don't, I actually don't care when they work. All I expect is the job is done. And it's almost a transparent, authentic management style where you give these people real ownership. So with my property managers, I have it structured. So all a property manager does is speak to landlords and process bond applications. Every, every other task is ancillary and subsidiary to those two main points. And I guess I travel from office to office and I hear property managers saying, well, in our office, we have a company policy where we must return an investor's call, an owner's call by close of business that day. And I think, are you kidding me? The only reason that they can't return the call almost immediately is they're busy doing the non-dollar productive stuff for them, which is they're out doing routine inspections or they're showing other people houses or they're dealing with maintenance or they're chasing rentaries. And the reality is the owner does not care who is doing all those tasks. All he cares about is when he rings up, he wants to speak to his property manager. It's also interesting to me because I know in the past we've been fascinated with immediacy, particularly around new business and, you know, immediate response to people who want to give us a property. But um, it's really quite uh, quite innovative and I think quite groundbreaking to get to a point where immediacy is just the currency of your business. Like that's just the experience you get when you deal with Reese's business is you can get someone straight away and that's pretty amazing. The, the other thing that I, I think is... You know, we, we have this in property management that we have a priority to return owner's calls by 5 o'clock that day. And if we take all day to return an owner's call, how, how much longer do we take to return a tenant's call? And I think a lot of times in property management, we forget who the customer is. The customer is the tenant. And if the customer is happy... They're going to pay their rent. They're going to look after the property. Well, the investor will be happy. And so in our office, we have it structured. So every time a tenant calls, they are dealt with. So they're not put on hold. They don't have to wait for a return phone call. And, you know, when a tenant doesn't have to ring again and again and again and again, they're happy. Yeah, I think 100%. there's been a couple of good examples there that you've given so far, Reese, about 
the advantage of early intervention and how the temptation to to cut early, cut corners or skimp early actually just pushes problems downstream and fester and kind of become bigger. So creating operational bottlenecks is is such a problem. And if you can just avoid it by giving people what they need when they need it, then hey, it's a win for everyone. Reese, can I can I ask you then? So um in a business that manages a thousand properties, obviously you can staff and structure a little bit differently. Yeah. What advice would you have for someone listening to this that has call it 200 properties on the rent roll so far, they're not quite big enough yet to really start adding layers of assistance and so on. How, how would they achieve that same outcome, do you think? So the structure is exactly the same. So you'd have a property manager that could handle 200 properties on their ear if all they're doing is um, speaking to the landlord and processing bonds. And then you, you would have an assistant property manager who may double up as a receptionist. Yep. So the, 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 the roles are still there, but you might only have one person to fill, whereas I'm able to have two people fill a couple of roles as opposed to, um, you know, in a smaller office, you might have a receptionist that doubles as a maintenance manager and also a leasing consultant. Um, and an assistant property manager. So, again, it's that's how they do it. I had a question, and it's kind of related to to everything we're discussing, uh, Reese. It was just about. It's been my observation that I think you've achieved what so many people set out to do, but never actually quite get there. And that is, I guess, build a business that actually functions without you needing to be in it. And I think there's a there's a big difference between having a business and actually just being self-employed. And um, you know, I think you've you've created that business that um, can can completely function autonomously if you're not there. Can you talk us through what's played a key part in that? Do you think it all comes down to the structure you've devised, or are there factors beyond that? Total structure. Um, you can have the world's greatest property manager, but there comes a point if they're trying to do everything. We're, in property management world, we must understand property managers cannot, and I say it again, cannot do everything. And we're churning through staff in this industry because this is the way it's always been done. And, you know, before when 20 years ago when I started, there wasn't as much pressure back then. People weren't expecting to ring and get a response today. But we live in the now. and. People want to know now. And the, all that pressure that's building and building and building, people, people can handle it for 12 months and there's a burnout, there's a drop-off. But it doesn't have to be that way. It can change with real structure, real um, processes, automation. And these, these um, property management has gone from being a really labour-intensive job and it's on a change to something that is becoming more automated and it is, it is becoming a wonderful, wonderful job that gives you freedom and flexibility and that's the future of property management.
Um, I just want to change tack for a moment now and have a chat to you about um, about offshoring, if we could. So, I think when when we first sort of started to see offshoring and that sort of outsourced uh, operation gather momentum in real estate, I think you took the rather bold move, the gutsy move, I would say, of actually just jumping in and, and starting your own offshoring company. Um, that's that's a pretty big one. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that and, and the process you went through there? Yeah, I, um, you know, I attend these property management conferences, which were just fantastic. It just gave me a lot of ideas and um, I wanted to do outsourcing because the biggest expense in a property management business is the cost of labour. And I uh, thought, well, what, what is a way that I can reduce some of my labour costs? And I explored the options of um, outsourcing to offshore companies and I interviewed a few of them and started off with some and it took me, you know, I'd spend hours on Zoom or back then I think it was Skype or whatever method and <laughs> I'd be kind of train them on what I wanted to do and how I wanted it to operate. But it became so frustrating and time-consuming that I got to the point where I would think, man, I'm just better off paying the extra money and I can touch it, feel it, see it, I'll do it myself. Um, but I had a lady that worked for me who had been with our company for five years and um, she went on maternity leave and she needed to keep working. So I said to her, why don't I employ you, you can work from home and you can be an assistant property manager. Well, she took off and she did. She started creating these online checklists and forms just off our normal checklists and forms. Then we got to a point where I had another person leave or was moving out and I said to her, can you get another person to cover? And she said, yeah, I could probably find someone else. She rang me back and she said, listen, I've got a, a brother in the Philippines who's a manager. He's a qualified accountant works as a manager for a big IT company. Um, if you can pay him the same amount, he would work from the Philippines. What difference does it make whether he's in the Philippines or whether he's where I live? It's, you know, he's not in the office. And I said, yeah, I'd give that some thought. And she said, he drives two hours to get to work. He does a 10-hour day and then two hours home. Wow. And, um, but he's on good pay. And I said, all right, tell us how much he gets paid. And when she told me, I almost fell off the floor. I fell off the chair on the floor. And I said, I'll pay him a bit more, you know, <laughs> can work from home. So it was, it satisfied his number one priority of being able to spend more time with his wife and family and um, gave him a bit of ownership of flexibility. And it just grew from there. We went from him to then someone else and someone else. And then we were starting to get internet issues, different speed issues. So we said, right, let's bite the bullet. We've got to formalise this. We'll start a company. We'll lease some office space. And we did that. And um, But I created, we created the checklists as I needed them. And it wasn't a matter of me training them. We just followed the, our normal checklists and they trained all the staff there exactly how they wanted property management done and it's been totally seamless. I, I, I could never go back to any other way of, of doing it. 
Reese, can I can I ask then? So um, a lot of what we were doing when the industry started to look at things like offshoring was taking advantage of the way that we could kind of redistribute work to drive the cost of some of that work down where possible. Given what we're seeing in terms of the advances in technology, if you had to kind of start all over again today, how much do you think you'd look to outsource again versus look to try and automate through some of the the tech that you're working with? Well, I think outsourcing has a life a life span with it. Being really frank, um, a lot of the tasks that outsourcers are doing now are going to be done away with through automation. So I think offshoring fills a gap until a software program is created that can do. And, you know, there, there may still be some other tasks, you know, where some personal touch is involved with some phone calls or what have you. But a lot of the processes in property management can be automated. And um, the person that creates the program is, is going to do super well because there's a, a need there that needs to be satisfied. And um, I think, so getting back to you, I think offshoring outsourcing has, is going to change to what we see it today. Interesting. Reese, I just had a question uh, around social responsibility, community engagement, uh, charitable endeavours. I know that's something your business has really been prominent in. So uh, I'd love to hear a little more about your experiences doing that kind of work and, you know, what benefits you've seen, I guess, from a business point of view, but also the wider community. I think in property management, we have a, a, a really privileged position. You know, we get to go into the homes of other people and it's very rarely that people go into homes other people's homes these days and when you go into someone's home and you look beyond the curtains and the carpets and you can look into the lives and the hearts of the people it tells a story and so many of these people even us included when we leave our front door in the morning we put on our battle face and we go out to the workplace or the world and say everything's fine. But behind closed doors, there's those that are struggling. There's heartache and hurt out there. And when we look beyond what our job is and into the hearts of the people, we can really do something about it. And I just feel as an organisation and as an industry, we have a privileged opportunity. So is there a... Is there like a, a structure around the work that you do or is it more ad hoc, like as you see an opportunity, then, you know, you you go and take action? We, we have a small structure. We call it our hour of power and we typically do it from 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning to 8 o'clock. It only goes for an hour and it started off with just a few people but our team's growing and we would probably do one or two a month. And, um, you know, when we go and help someone and we say, hey, would you come and help us at the next one? Well, our constant little group is grown to about 60 people on a Saturday morning. Wow. And the guys get in and out, you know, their home opens start at 9 o'clock. So, you know, people turn up with their trailers and their shovels <laughs> and their lawnmowers and their axes and their chainsaws. And 
we're not doing it to be seen or to um, get some recognition. You do it because people need it. And, and the other thing is people love helping someone else. It's the Aussie thing, you know. It's Very help, true. help a mate. And in a world where there's so much divisive um, anger, well, I just get a good feeling from it. I find no greater satisfaction than helping others and I get a real kick out of it. That's my real joy in life is to try and lift someone else up. That's, that's what we enjoy. Fabulous. I want to, I want to hit you with one final question. Um, it's a question we pose to all of our guests in concluding our time with them. What would Reese now say to Reese day one in property management? With the benefit of all that experience and hindsight, what advice would you give him? After he said, go get a projector. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I, I think the most important thing for property management is firstly, you've got to get the structure right. And it, it doesn't matter look, where you are. There's not all these different ways of, you know, I hear in, over in this area, one property manager should do 150 or over here, someone should do 250. We're doing the same job. It's the same principles, the same um, practices around the whole world. A tenant wants to move into a house and live comfortably and peaceably and we're just managing that process. So there is a set structure that absolutely works up and above all the other processes that people are doing. So I'd get that structure right and um, I would provide, which will provide your employees, all of them, from your property manager right through to your frontline administration person, they're able to have their number one priority, which is not work, as their number one priority. And if I could have got that 20 years ago, I would have not had 20 years or 15 years of heartache and pain, but that's made me better. But that's what I would do now if I started again. That's all for today. You can find out more about Reese at justpropertymanagement.com.au. You can also visit us at comio.com and head to the journal section where you'll find the notes for today's show along with some other amazing informational tidbits. Thanks again to Reese for his time and wisdom. And thank you for listening to Agency of Change. It's been great having you with us. We'll see you next time.